Well, good morning, church. It's uh, so good to see you. Now, as we, um, as we enter into today's discussion, I just know there is uh, an awful lot surrounding what we're going to talk about today. We're in a series uh, called Together. It's about relationships. And, um, you know, it's February. Guys, in two days, it's this thing called Valentine's Day, you know, what all that means. Also, it's Family Day weekend and a couple uh, next weekend. So we'd be amiss in a relationship series to not talk about marriage. But I know this. <clears throat> uh, the perspectives, the, the, the feelings, the emo- emotions surrounding this topic uh, are wide and varied in this room, just like in the first service. We have people who are, you know, aspiring or maybe wanting to get married or maybe to get married again, and some were there and said, not a chance. And (laughs) others who are in healthy marriages, others who are in marriages that are really struggling. That's just the nature of where we are. And so I just ask for great grace to fall upon all of us as we walk through this. And, and if you're single or single again, I'd want to encourage you that there may be some things uh, this morning that you can tuck away, uh, things that um, you may agree with, things that you'll save for perhaps the next time. Uh, I also recognize that um, it may, you know, just evoke some... Some, some tough memories or whatever. Um, so I just, I just want to say that disclaimer. I, I get it. I'm, t- I'm trying to be, you know, just a- aware of where we are. Um, to this morning is going to be more theological, biblical when it comes to marriage. Because in two weeks, on Saturday night, the 25th, uh, I'm going to be leading a little micro-retreat and there'll be a, a session at 4.30, and then we're going to have dinner together, and then we'll do the second session. And I, I want to encourage you that, um, for those that are so inclined, that that is going to be intensely practical, so practical you would have the freedom, and I would, I would say this because I'm going to massage some things I did many years ago, and I had some very um, strong unbelievers in the room who actually stayed for the entire marriage retreat of three days. So I want to say that you could bring someone with you, uh, even if they're not a believer in Jesus, and I think it would be helpful for them. So this morning, we want to focus on what the scripture is is teaching, and then we're going to get intensely practical uh, in a couple weeks on the Saturday night. It's not that this isn't practical, it's just... um, uh, I just learned some things, and I pray that I can make it clear uh, today. Uh, anyways, so let's just dive in, okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but I was shocked, as many of you were, after watching the basketball game and seeing the news Friday night about Mayor John Tory. And uh, as, as saddened as I was, because I 
personally, I, I just, I respected him as a leader, but I just felt for his wife and his family. The marital breakdown and unfaithfulness has taken a massive toll in every segment of society, and even some of you in this room, you know. And it's even plagued the church over the last three to five years very publicly. And um, I just want to say, instead of turning with real judgment, I think the appropriate response, if we want to adhere to a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that would say, to him or her who thinks they stand, take heed lest you fall. That no temptation has seized anyone except what's common. So I just want to say that any one of us, myself included, is susceptible, especially if we are not diligent in growing in Christ-likeness, that is allowing him to shape our character, our thinking, what happens in our minds, our affections, and guarding the relationships, helping us to maintain healthy boundaries where appropriate, and living in authentic vulnerability with other people to whom we give account. And I just want you to know that I've um, been 35 years uh, married with Leah, uh, be 36 years in June, and dated four years uh, with that. So it's like, good grief, I've been with her like 39 years. And, uh, but here, here's the thing. I, I just want you to know that I am as red-blooded as any Canadian male, uh, I wrestle with things just as much as everyone in this room, and Leah does as well. And so we just want you to know that we're not stand, you know, standing here, or I'm not standing here. She's in Nashville right now. Uh, Amanda's Christmas present, just daughter and mom out at Nashville. And, uh, but I stand here not as one with any sense of self-righteousness because I know very strongly what we all face. Uh, temptations come in all kinds of ways and what a person might be tempted with in a certain aspect of it, another person might be tempted and sort of, sort of a side door into that or, or something. So I just want to say that. I don't stand a, here as somebody who is above it all and somehow doesn't, you know, isn't touched by that kind of temptation or thought. So if I can just sort of level the playing field here, just as a follower to fellow followers, but by the grace of God and some very appropriate things, I'm very, very intentional about a lot of things in this area because I, I just know the pressures and especially the results of what would happen to my family, to all of you. And uh, um, sometimes it's just a good, healthy sense of fear is a good thing. Um, <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take us on a journey uh, through a very familiar passage of Scripture, but I'm not going to camp where you think I'm going to camp. 
We're going to go to Ephesians 5, but we're not going to camp where you think I'm going to camp. Are you okay with that? Uh, I'm going to pull out some other verses that often get sidelined by some of our discussions. And we're not going to start where you think I start. Most times in churches, we start talking about this, then immediately we jump to chapter 5, verse 22. Well, wives! <laughs> Finish it, Kathy. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we think we start there. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything and all that. That's not where the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to start in this whole discussion. And I hope that you find some great freedom in that today. Marriage was God's idea. He created it at the beginning of human existence. Contrary to what some people write, and you may have heard, it did not evolve during the latter part of the Bronze Age as a way to determine property rights. No, after humanity came into being, God said this in Genesis 2.24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I love the King James a little better because it preaches better. They shall leave their father and mother and cleave to their wife. And the saying goes, and it's very, very true, that if you don't leave well, you won't cleave well. If you don't leave your father and mother, that is not to be ignorant to them, not to write them off, not to disown them, but if you don't step aside there and cleave to make your ultimate earthly allegiance to a human to be your spouse, if that is not true, if your parents still interfere, they have the final say in your marriage, it will be absolutely a place of frustration. I love my parents. You guys know how much I love them and miss them. But when I said I do to Leah, I said I don't to mom and dad. And if you don't leave well from that influence where you go to them all the time, where they actually, you know, uh, we had one temptation with that one time when mom decided to come and live with us for a little bit of time when we were in Ottawa. And I, I noticed Leah, as she loved my mom, you know that. Some of you know how deeply friends they, they were. But there was a time there where, when Leah started getting very just unsettled during that time. And I didn't understand what was going on, but I had sort of allowed, the longer mom lived in the same house with us, I sort of allowed, Leah started to wonder about where the ultimate allegiance, especially when things happened where there was disagreement as to what to do. And I remember that conversation with mom, one of the most uncomfortable conversations I had, to say that we weren't going to do this particular thing and that my allegiance, and I'm going to do what Leah and I decided to do, and my allegiance is with Leah. And that was very, very hard because some of you know how much I love my mom and she's actually a very strong person, was. 
Actually, she is. She's probably arranging the throne room right about now. And um, for those that don't know, my mom passed away last year. Um, so that was a very, very difficult conversation. It created a little tension for a while between mom and I, between Leah and mom. But I just want to say that as we continue to love and reach out and didn't let anything on our side develop, we saw mom respect that. And I watched my mom countless times with tears in her eyes weeping about how much she loved Leah. And when mom died, Leah said to me a few days later in tears, she said, I feel like I lost my best friend. So it doesn't mean just because there's tension on the front side that that's the way it is forever. But you must, if you're single in this room and you're looking one day to have a, a marriage or if, if you've, you're going to go again at it, that absolutely is very critical. You must leave well in order to cleave well. A freestanding relationship where your ultimate allegiance is to Christ and then on earth to your spouse. And I'm going to dare say, step on some toes, even before your children. Uh, and, uh, it, and again, there's so many other scriptures that tell us we don't be ignorant to our parents or our other extended family. There's good instructions about doing that. Respect them and honor them and all kinds of things, but you get the idea. So it was God's idea that they should do that. At the climax of the Genesis account of creation, we see God bringing man and woman together and uniting them in a covenant commitment of marriage. And uh, because the creation and the concept of human marriage is rooted in God's own action and character, what he says about marriage what he says about its design is crucial for those who follow Jesus in particular. It was instituted by God. It is regulated by his word. It is empowered by his spirit. It is celebrated by Jesus. And next to our relationship with God, marriage is the most profound relationship there is, or that's the way it should be. We've gone through seasons in my own marriage where it hasn't been that wonderful. I know it's hard to believe, especially when you think of Leah. Like, how could it not be wonderful? But I, I mean that, not to you know, denigrate her in any way. But, uh, and we talk about this privately with some of our premarital counseling that we do for couples. I know what it's like to be so fragmented, so disconnected, with so much antagonism, that I remember calling my father and said, I think I need to leave the ministry. I mean, I know that pain. And so, we got some help, I got more help, and we'll go into why maybe uh, we'll talk about it on next Saturday night, two Saturday nights. But uh, all I can tell you right now is I am so thankful <coughs> that we worked through those things and uh, here we are. 
Marriage is not the shallow sentiment that we hear about in our culture so often. It is glorious and hard. It, it is joy and it's strength and it's meaningful, but it is blood, sweat, and tears. It can feel like an unsolvable puzzle sometimes. Yet it can be rewarding and absolutely wonderful. So I know this may seem like a crazy question, but let me ask you, what is marriage and its purpose? Some people wonder, like, well, duh. Well, I say, really? Duh? If you see over history, you know what's happened? Actually, the definition and the purpose of marriage has changed. And even as I begin to talk about it, you can see the change in how much it's influenced us, even in our culture and in the church, because we might even get a little uncomfortable. Historically, marriage was understood to be a loving, lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman, to be a sacrament of God's love, provided protection, a procreation of children, and served the common good of humanity. It was a sort of a partnership where people reined in their personal freedoms and learned self-denial for the sake of the family, created an environment for the growth and the flourishing of kids. But shifts began to happen, and you know when they took place? Actually, the seeds of it in the Enlightenment. The meaning of life that was once found through self-denial, giving up one's freedoms for the best interests of the whole and others, especially binding oneself to marriage and family, it came to be seen as undesirable compared to finding one's own meeting, autonomy, freedom, for me to choose the life that I want to that fulfills myself personally. We began to look for partners who provided emotional and sexual fulfillment and self-actualization. That is, we began to marry for us. And at best, the mutual individual growth and satisfaction. And so what happened is marriage became privatized and emerged, redefining its purpose as individual gratification and... It became about not us, but me. So today it seems like people are looking for uh, a marriage partner to provide emotional satisfaction, make life more interesting, support their own individual goals, to be sexually attractive, low maintenance or no maintenance, who fulfills their, uh, my own desires, shares the bills, makes very little demands on me and so that I can do whatever I want to. That seems to be what often is perpetrated in our culture. And the perspective of, getting, of this in marriage is gaining headway even in the mainstream of Christian marriage. And let me say this. I believe it has put undue pressure on marriages and on those seeking to be married. Why? Because now the pressure is so high. Things that we've um, actually found, used to find in God alone. Now we're expecting our partner to provide all of that. And it's impossible. 
absolutely impossible. Who can live up to those expectations? Well, I want to take us on a bit of a journey. I'm going to be a little bit over the map here on this passage. But I want to pick up in the middle of this passage in, in chapter 5 where Paul is talking about all the wonders and the theology of who we are in Christ and all that he's provided for and talking about the amazing thing and the transformation that happens in us. And then he starts talking about the church and our relationships with the church and how we're to transform that. And then he makes a corner as he comes down in chapter 5 and he's talking about how that we then are to walk in love and then he starts talking and heading towards the teaching on marriage. But halfway through that, or near the end of it, in verse 31, the Apostle Paul picks up the words that were written in Genesis chapter 2. And right here in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, he says, Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So what he's doing here in Ephesians chapter 5, he's going to expound on all of that and make a connection between Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5. He says then in the next verse, this is a profound mystery, or this mystery is profound. In the Greek it says, this is a mega mysterion. He says like, this is big, this, this is a mystery. Some use the word secret, not in the sense of some sort of esoteric hidden thing that only select few people can find, but in the sense that it was in the plan of God who now has revealed it, okay? This mystery. And then he says something confusing when it comes to marriage, doesn't he? I thought you were talking about marriage, cleaving to your spouse and leaving your father and mother and it's a mystery and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church you ever read that and kind of gone hmm? I read a couple of fascinating books that were very very helpful one of which I'll quote a couple of times here by Timothy Keller in his book the meaning of marriage and he highlights something that I think was absolutely fantastic he links the mystery because Paul uses the word mystery in the book of Ephesians a few times. And when he's talking about a mystery, he's talking about the mystery of the plan of God in Jesus to how he came to this earth, manifested himself in the incarnation, lived a life of service, humbled himself, died on a cross, was resurrected again, and then ascended to his rightful place of his coronation where he now rules. This mystery of what Jesus did by then in our faith believing them, the mystery is he then scoops us up and brings us with him into the people of God of the older covenant. And now the mystery is that we are part of it. And the amazing thing is, he takes this word mystery that he's already taught about in the whole idea about what he's done in through his, his sacrificial service to us to bring us into union with himself. And now he's applying the word mystery to marriage. The 
The mystery was revealed. In chapter 5, verse 2, he says how Jesus gave himself up as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He's talking about husbands loving their wives, and he talks about how Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. And this is an incredible mystery to sanctify her, present her to himself, that she would be set apart only for him, holy. Then he would nourish and cherish her. And Jesus humbled himself and took on the role of servant to others, voluntarily giving up his life on a cross, was raised to coronation and released the spirit so that we could become part of this family. It is the mystery of the gospel revealed through Jesus. And this is seen in the marriage union. They explain one another the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of marriage. How Jesus, through union with us by faith, has actually united with us always to be part of his family forever. And marriage explains that or illustrates it. And as marriage illustrates it, we go to the gospel mystery to give us hope and strength to be able to experience and live in the mystery of marriage. At least that's what God's intent was. Does that make sense? Keller says in his book, the Christian teaching on marriage does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice or fulfillment or sacrifice, but rather it teaches mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. The gospel and the marriage explain one another. So he's saying, Paul is saying, do for your spouse what Jesus did for you and the rest will follow. The experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and the depth of the gospel to you, or it should, driving you further into reliance on him, on Jesus. And the experiential understanding of the gospel as Christ in us and our union with him will help us deepen our experience of the union with our spouse. So through marriage, the mystery of God is revealed. And as we experience the gospel, our hearts are remade to enhance our marriage. Does this make sense? They're both a mystery. They explain, they illustrate, they help one another. And that was God's plan. The problem is when we don't, uh, if we don't cooperate with what Jesus is doing in us, and we know the pain of that, both when we've done it and when others have not done it. So I want to look at the gospel that the Father has given to us for our marriage. The gospel is as relevant to me today and to you as it was the very first day you trusted Jesus. Scott McKnight wrote in the King James Gospel, he wrote this, almost a whole book about this, that especially in the United States, they have what's called a salvation gospel, uh, culture in the church. And that is that the gospel, it only exists to get me across the line of faith to become a Christian. And they would say that actually that line of faith is the finish line. 
But Jesus taught that actually the gospel is the starting line that gets us into the life in the kingdom of God and to live out and continue to be shaped by the gospel all the way through until it is fully realized in the new heaven and the new earth. So the gospel is as relevant to you and to me today as the first day we responded to it. It doesn't stop changing our effects and our minds The good news continues to work as we lean in. And in Ephesians 5, we really, we we usually begin with verse 22, right? Husband or wives submit. But it really begins earlier where the book really begins to expound the the good news. And especially in chapter 5. And I want to bring us there. The gospel that affects marriage really begins, I'm going to argue, in verse 18. And the gospel, God provides for us power for marriage. That power is a person, God the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's lots of results of that, that we live a life of worship and thanksgiving, and the last, continu- it's one long continual sentence, and the last effect of being filled with the Spirit is this, mutual submission, submitting to one another in love. I'm going to come back to that. But the Holy Spirit gives us power. Ephesians 5 is beautiful. It's in the present tense. That means that you is something that is a repeated experience on and on as much as every need arises. And it's also in the passive voice or the passive mood in Greek, which means this. It's not something that you can generate. It's something given to you. Receive the ongoing fullness and power of the Holy Spirit That is the power for God's plan through the gospel for marriage. And this is where it really begins for Christians. If we are ever to experience what God intended for marriage, we need to ongoingly receive his power. And he infuses our being with his spirit to do two things. This is how the power of God works. The Holy Spirit comes in and through his word, he transforms us. That is the work of sanctification, a big Bible word that means to make us more and more like Jesus, setting us apart for his purposes and his will. The Holy Spirit comes, we open our hearts to him. He becomes resident within us when we receive Christ, but then we continually seek him and ask to be filled ongoingly to overflowing because we recognize we leak and we need him for every new challenge and experience, especially in marriage. Why is that? Because my own character does not want to submit and serve. My character wants to do what I want to do. My character doesn't like all of the restrictions and restraints that sometimes there are in marriage. And if I don't get changed as a person, it is a forever fight inside me and with my spouse. So the Holy Spirit fills us to transform us, to become more and more like Jesus in our character, our thinking, and our affections. 
The second thing the Holy Spirit does, this power, he comes into us and fills us, is he enables us. Not only does he transform us, he empowers us, enables us, gives us the capacity or the capability to actually do the things that God calls us to do. When we don't feel like it, when we don't want to do it, he empowers us. That's why the scripture says, God is at work in you, causing you to will and to do his good pleasure. That's the spirit of God. Now, you can override him. You can grieve him, shut him down, choose not to respond to him. But that's the beauty of the power of God for marriage. It's all in the gospel. Get, does this make sense to you? I don't want to belabor it if we're okay. So the Holy Spirit fills us to transform us, to become like Jesus, and then to enable us to do the things that Jesus did and does. Things we don't do naturally or don't want to or don't feel like it. Here's the second part of the gospel. Not only do we get power, be filled with the Holy Spirit, we also now have a pattern to emulate. We have a model before us. We have a life to be able to pursue and that is the pattern of Jesus. And Jesus, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, even though he was God, equal with God, he didn't grasp, what did he do? He voluntarily surrendered himself, laid aside his divine prerogatives to use all of his divine attributes, and he took on the form of a human being, and he lived, became a servant and so much so that he gave his very life and died on a cross in that weakness. He submitted himself. He surrendered himself. And what does it say in chapter 5, verse 21? After being filled with the Spirit, submit to one another out of reverence or fear of Christ. So the gospel gives us a pattern to follow. We become like Jesus. He gave himself up, chapter 5, verse 2. He gave himself up, chapter 5, verse 25. Even when he died on the cross, Hebrews 9, 14 said that, that he, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up without blemish to God, Jesus, in his humanity, needed the fullness of the Holy Spirit in order to give himself to die. And the Spirit empowered him. Through the eternal Spirit, he offered himself. And we are called to follow this example and to live. That is the way of the kingdom. So in marriage, not the place to start is verse 22. Wives, submit your husband. It's in verse 18, be filled with your spirit. And then verse 21, which is mutual submission and reciprocal servanthood. That is the teaching of the gospel. And when we are being transformed, husbands and wives, by the power of the Holy Spirit in our character, thinking, and affections, and when we are being empowered, to, enabled to do the things that we don't naturally want to do, and as then we choose to both submit to one another, then what does that kind of submission look like? 
I'm going to jump. I'm going to skip that to verse 33, where he summarizes this whole teaching, the last verse. Here's his conclusion. So, husbands, love your wife. And wives, respect your husbands. That's the end of the matter. That's his conclusion. What does reciprocal servanthood and surrender and submission look like? Well, for the husband, it means love your wife. In fact, the husband has the much, much, a very, very difficult, much more extensive job as you begin to read in verses 25 onwards or 23 onwards. To give himself in service, cherish, honor, serve, love as Jesus did. Wives, you submit, you respect your husbands. The two deepest needs of a man and a woman, according to certain writers, is for a woman to feel loved and for a man to be respected. And the gospel enables it. As we are transformed, filled with the power of God, and as we live the kingdom life that Jesus lived. Make sense? That's a whole lot better than how it used to be or is often preached. It is all just this beautiful work of God within us. Now, two things. It does not mean that just because someone's a Christian, they live this out. Some of you know the pain of this. All of us know the wrestle that it is. It also doesn't mean that those who aren't Christians can't have a decent marriage. What it does mean, though, is that there's unsurpassed resource for the believer to actually make it a reality through the gospel, the power of the Spirit, the Word of God, the community of faith that walks with Him. There's a lot of, you know, all of the fruit and the benefit of the Holy Spirit, of His work in us. There's unsurpassed resources for the believer. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, a person necessarily takes advantage of it or surrenders to it. I hope that makes sense to you. But in the plan of God, the ongoing reception of the Spirit will give us the power to choose to emulate Jesus, humbling ourselves, giving ourselves in service to one another, and it will increasingly apply ourselves unto doing what he did. It will grow a healthy marriage. It's work and it's reward. There's pain but there's joy. Why would we expect any other when we look at the mystery of the gospel in death and pain to bring exaltation and bring us into the family when that mystery of marriage, why would we expect that not to be? And herein lies our hope found in the gospel. Does that make sense?
So on a theological, but practical, it is livable. We must think right in order to live right. The beauty of the good news is that God gives to us in the gospel transformation, empowerment, such that we can mutually serve and reciprocally submit to one another. And if we both do that, that'll create a wonderful or healthy marriage. That's my prayer for me, and I need it. And that's my prayer for you. So if you'll allow me to, let's pray.